Pelotero Pickle, episode 63. We have a special guest with us today. But first, a quick reminder, send us your topics at pickle at pelotero.com for email or on Twitter. Hit us up at Pelotero Pickle. Let's get into our guests. The the king of bat flips. Can we go there? Jose Bautista is with us. And of course, co-host Chris Colabello. Jose oh, thanks for mentioning me. That's cool. I appreciate it. Can we get to our guest? Jose, how's everything going? It's going great. I mean, it's uh, pretty evident that this is the dynamic of the show, right? Nice. Yeah, nice. yeah we're... <laughs> well, go- the but, whole goal of the show is we need we need like four one minute segments that are good. That's the whole that's that's all we're after. Yeah, but before we get into that, uh, you know, just thank you, thank you guys for having me. It's my pleasure to to be on here and let's have some fun. It's an honor, first of all, and I still don't think it, like the way this all came full circle for us, right? I still pinch myself at times that I got to be your teammate uh, and obviously be part of of that 2015 playoff run, but it's so funny because going back 2012, you were kind of the, you were almost like the poster boy for, for Bobby understanding swing change. So to end up in the same clubhouse as you three years, four years later was, it's still like pinch myself. And you're, you're so famous that I have your bat. You don't have my bat, but I have your bat. So there's <laughs> I, I used to be now, but it's cool because, you know, you know, that's something you don't think about very often when you're enjoying success and you you don't think about that kind of stuff. But sometimes there are people like Bobby that, you know, may use you as an example to show to others what, you know, he's trying to communicate because he sees it kind of playing out or whatever it might be. So um, that's kind of cool for me to hear. So uh, thanks for that, guys. I don't think I've ever fully geeked out. We've chatted a bunch before, but I don't think I've ever fully geeked out on you in terms of how much I studied your swing and, and how I think you and pools were the two most impactful players to my research and everything I was trying to figure out. The big difference with you was you went from being, I'll say not a dude to becoming a superstar. And that transition, I think when you did that, the game wasn't ready for player development to say a guy can go from being a marginal player to being a superstar. The, the game, the, the whole dynamic of player development has shifted and you played a massive role in that because of what you went on to do like how how is that does that define a big part of your career i mean i don't know i mean to be quite honest i never thought about it or looked at it that way i just was focused with going out there and helping my team win doing what i needed to do in order to make enough adjustments to uh you know be somebody that was contributing on a day-to-day basis. And if, if you think or say that that ended up happening, you know, I'll take your word for it, but that was never, you know, in uh, my horizon, it was in my goal. I was just trying to be as good players I could be and help my team win games. So I think for me, right. I, I, I watched you go through this and it was very similar to me. You were just doing it in the big leagues, right? You were, you were a guy from a, like from a mechanical standpoint. What what were you thinking about? What were you taught? Why were you what you were pre? Let's call it two thousand end of two thousand nine, two thousand ten, when you really kind of took off. What, what were the things that? What were the foundations of hitting for you at that time? And then what really like? I know you've talked about it publicly and 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 being on time and getting ready early was kind of like the 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 central. I guess, focus of it, but what, what would you say like the biggest changes were and what was it pre swing change to post swing change? No, I think that, you know, it's, it may sound oversimplistic, but it is, it was really for me just a simple as being ready on time that kind of allowed my swing to naturally take over. But the things that I worked on the most prior to, you know, me having better production were, uh, just staying short to the ball, staying through the inside, hit a lot of hard line drives and bad in practice. Um, that kind of was naturally keeping the ball in the air per se, but I wasn't really focused on hitting fly balls. Nobody talked about that actually. And nobody wanted you to hit fly balls back in the day. So it, it was hard contact for me growing up. That was the thing that was drilled down my, down my brain is hard line drive contact at all times, whenever possible. Um, Staying inside the ball, you know, staying back on your backside so you can kind of spin and turn um, with a little more speed and force was also um, what I was, you know, taught growing up. I know that 
Some people were drop and drive guys. Some people were kind of step into it. Uh, you know, there was a lot of different schools of hitting uh, when I was growing up, but mine was definitely stay back, stay through the inside and hard contact with line drives. Um, if uh, all fails, just, you know, whatever, whatever happens, happens, but that's your target. You know, that was your sweet spot. That's what you're trying to accomplish with every swing uh, that you take. That's funny because I, I, I feel very connected to you in that regard because I was the same. Right. I was I, everything for me was stay short, be direct, nod to the ball, swing down, get your foot down early. All th those were my usual suspects. And so for me, when when Bobby really introduced these concepts to me, you you played such a big role in that. And, and I'm, this is the God's honest truth. And I don't know if I ever told you this. The night it all clicked for me, the night it it just kind of took on its own life form that it was the next day actually going we were had we had uh we had a day game and i was sitting at home at night and bobby wrote an article about you and it was showing a side by side of you in pittsburgh and then in toronto um when you just kind of it, it was in a yankee stadium you had a laser home run right down the line like second deck like thought i broke a chair when i hit it <laughs> second deck and it said it said in the article, and I, without knowing what you were actually thinking or going through, right? It was just kind of what he was perceiving to be your thoughts. And one of the concepts we had talked a lot about was swinging until you weren't, as opposed to I felt like my whole career I was a recognized and then swing guy. Um, and when I saw it, he put it in bold letters, and I felt like it was meant for me in the article. And I went to my game the next day, and it was the first day of the rest of my career because it was the first time I started swinging before I was actually swinging, like prior to swing commitment, I guess. And, um, well, and I get exactly what you're saying, because that's another thing, you know, that maybe wasn't in the pillars of what, you know, was drilled to me as a, as a young hitter and, and how to go about it. But it was definitely something that was preached. Um, maybe in the second tier of commands was be a yes, yes, no guy instead of a no, 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 yes guy. Um, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And that's the way that it was um, communicated to me, you know, it's mm -hmm. a yes, yes, no. So yeah. hit until, you know, you don't, you can't yeah. <laughs> swing yeah. until the pitch is either in a location or your body's so out of whack that you just, it's better not to swing. But, yeah. It's telling you not it, like swing until the pitch is telling you not to right? something right. simplistic like that. Yeah. That clip, I remember I was, it was talking about the timing of the, of the leg lift and time of getting the front foot down. I was always taught growing up to get my front foot down when the pitcher was releasing the ball. See, so I'd just be waiting and like static. And the video that I had of you, your leg kick was getting to its highest point when the ball was being released. And it was like, what is like, this is blasphemy. You can't do that. The whole baseball world at the time was so against that. And it was crazy because it was so obvious when you study video. Um, even So you had like the high leg kick. Pools was usually with he did like more of the toe, the super wide toe touch heel lift and talking about the stride. I would, I would always separate like unweighting the front foot as opposed to like lifting the front foot because pools didn't pick up his foot, but he unweighted the foot. So I'm curious the, the first game, I'm just to kind of go backwards a little bit. The first time I saw you hit live, you did a rehab assignment in Manchester, New Hampshire, which was like, the playoffs, man. 20 minutes up the road. And I, I was super geeked out because you were right down the street from me. And I was like, this is like going to watch Usain Bolt sprint in a race. Like you're the premier power player in the game. Oh, stop the stadium should be packed. You were hitting you 54 homers. You led the league in homers twice. But I remember I was in the press box for your first at bat. Cause I got like a press pass. I was like, I was geeking out. <laughs> so I'm in the press box and I couldn't believe how over the plate you were. So your hands were up high but when you did your leg lift, you were, it felt, it felt like your leg was halfway across the plate when I was looking at it from above. I'm curious how, how your stance evolved and how your whole approach and everything kind of created your stance and created your alignment and everything. Cause you were very, very much a pull hitter. You were right on top of the plate. So how did that all evolve? See, I don't think I, I actively thought about, making changes to then have the feel it was more of you know i feel these things and I it makes sense to be in these positions kind of thing 
So I, I didn't reverse engineer it per se. So I just kind of went along with how I was feeling and what was more comfortable and how I felt more confident, uh, depending on what I was trying to do. And I knew that people used to bang me in. So I was really good. And I'm obviously I'm still really good at hitting the balls inside and fastballs. I'm a little weaker on the ball away from me and breaking balls. So, you know, I felt like the closer I am to the plate, you know, the more chances I'm giving myself to get more pitches that I'm good at. So that was just the logic behind it and I was good at keeping my hands tight and inside and still getting inside the ball enough so I could keep that ball fair without you know the ball going hooking it foul basically so that was just the whole premise behind all of that and um it was just comfort it was just confidence and I think that's why there's so many different batting stances and so many different styles of hitting and each person has to go where they feel comfort comfortable and confident and if you do that and then pair that up with the basics of hitting, you know, the staying back, the, you know, all those other things, I think that's the best recipe for success for that particular person. It's hard to just hit like somebody else does because you don't feel the same things. You don't, you know, you don't use the same muscles. You don't fire them in the right way. And there's a right same sequence as other people. So uh, you don't have the same bat control and, and barrel control and you don't, you're not as precise or where you're going to put the barrel or make it go through the zone or the timing of that. Uh, so as long as you're confident and uh, comfortable, I think your chances increase just because, you know, you're just worried about seeing the ball and hitting it as good as you can. And obviously your workload in the cage and, and batting practice and all that is going to take over um, with your competitive juices in the middle of a game. But I think you're increasing your chances when you make it that simple. You know, what are you good at? Focus on that you know, get confident and get comfortable and just compete. It's, it's so funny. To, I mean, this is, uh, you and I talked a lot about hitting, but never, I think really like root deep, deep roots, like questions. I remember there was one night you, me and Donaldson sat in the clubhouse till like late, late. And we, we talked and it was so cool for me because obviously Bobby had done some stuff with Josh and, and it was really, again, the, the totality of it. And, I would say all three of us were so different. Right. And yet very similar in the sense that I think we all had swing change stuff that really probably took us to a different level than we could have been before. And I was more the opposite field guy. I would say Josh was more like middle and you were probably a little bit more pull. Uh, and I remember sending you a text a few few months ago i saw a game where you actually hit two balls the opposite field and it was they named it a national holiday in canada did you know that they they it was national opposite field day for jose batista and it was really cool um, is, that, is that a real thing they did that no i did it i did it i'm, I'm we're de facto canadians you you know you know you know him well enough to know he's yeah. dead but we're de facto but canadians i wouldn't put it this is this is the other there. cool this is the other cool and weird thing about hitting which you have to take it with a grain of salt when you hear people talk about hitting and their advice and what their perception of what they're doing is. Um, sometimes you feel like you're doing things in one way, but it looks to other people. And when they actually watch it on video, it looks completely different. So your pro perception of your physical movements is one <laughs> and what you actually execute is another. So you have to be mindful of that when you take advice or you give advice, because I can tell you stay inside. And to me, it feels like one thing. And to you, it may feel like a different thing. So that's why sometimes hitting gets a little bit more complicated uh, than it needs to, just because just because I tell you something doesn't mean that it registers or that it means the same thing to you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I, you're... I want to dig into that. I want to get, can we get like super granular? Cause nobody ever does this with, big league guys can we do that jose hey i'm here you you guys run this show you All tell right. me what you want to do so here i want to i want to go like specific to your fields because i think it's really interesting um did you ever think at all about your lead arm in the swing with the height no. of it with the feel with like holding an angle nothing no not consciously no what about your back arm did you i actually wanted to i actually wanted to eliminate that you know, if I ever felt, if I ever felt like I was using it too much or it was guiding my direction in, 
too quick or, or too much to my pull side, what I would try to do is try to eliminate that from my thought process. So uh, I would say it's the opposite. I was trying to be the least uh, conscious about my front side in, in general, let alone my front arm. Yeah, I always, I'm on like, kind of like a drop the hammer guy and just feel the, the barrel as an extension of my top hand. Well, I mean, I would see, and that's funny because there was one off season, he, Bobby started talking to me about the lead arm and, and like how and there, I, there are very, I have some very distinct side views of you where it, 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 it would look to your point from before where it would look like you were actively turning this arm up to get above a ball in the top of the zone and Bobby's like, hey, try to feel your, your lead arm. I'm like, dude, I, I can't hit with this hand. Like, I, don't, I, I would be like, er, er, and then it was so out of whack where I, was, I had to think more of, of like getting the bat on plane from back here with this hand and then letting it turn, and my lead arm was going to do what it did. And I think you, you were significantly better at balls up and in, in the inner part of the zone, which, I mean, I think a lot of what your, your direction, the way you set up your direction, you crushed balls in as sam dyson is very well aware of sorry sam we didn't mean to hurt your feelings um but like anybody that was throwing you to that part of the plate or to the top part of the zone i thought was just an idiot because i'd watch you i'm like this guy cleans balls out in there and i remember specifically one day there was, there was one day i don't think you hit a homer in bp and i had to hit in your group which i hated because hitting with you and eddie and donaldson was like really like I have to do this. I'm going to try to hit pull side homers now, which I can, but it's probably not my jam to get me ready. And you're like, I got no pop. And I was like, dude, you got plenty of pop. It's just your direction because in BP you're flushing balls. Like what you said before about hitting balls hard. So I know that in the game for you, that's going to turn into just a little bit flatter and the speed of the game is going to get you to where you need to go. And then before you know it, it's, I mean, Think about it. How many swings did you take from when you were five to your 20 before you even got into pro ball? Like you can't replace, you know, that's like in here. Yeah. You can't erase that. So it's hard to make that type of super drastic change to where you just eliminate that feel. And for you, it was you feel the top hand yeah. uh, spinning or whatever you called it. So now Bobby's telling you to feel your front side for the first time in your life at 20 something years old. Like that's just, yeah. it's going to take a while if yeah. it's going to register at all. Well, Chris, your lead arm would tend to be low. Jose, you, your hands are so high that that makes sense <laughs> to me. When I watch your swing, it felt like you just held this angle between, I got a bat right here. It felt like you held this angle so much and you had so much lag and I was just curious. Like, I've never asked you that detail of it. Well, that, again, I was trying to deaden this arm, and that's – Makes sense, it, yeah. Did uh, – Just because just I felt when I was going wrong, this was going too quick that way. And then it made my barrel kind of drop and, and get even steeper and just under – it hit the bottom of the ball and just pop it up all the time. Yeah. Did you feel in your swing, did you ever feel like you were creating stretch or creating load, like with your hips opening, with your hands staying back? Was that ever a thought of yours? No, I was in my head again. I was more of a rotate quick guy. Rotate where? That's a weird question, but I'll ask it anyway. No, look, like my hips. Like I, I would try to like, you know, I don't recommend this. And over some years, you know, I was feeling it in my low back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to just attack it with my hips or my waist, if you want to call it. You know, that's that's how they taught me to hit when I was growing yeah. up. I think the the beauty of this conversation for me is the ability, and, and you said this before, is, and I think people are a little bit cavalier nowadays about how they talk about hitting and they don't clarify, like, look, this is what I felt. This is what I thought. And here is why, as opposed to you hear people on TV, dude, it's so tired to hear the launch angle swing thing on TV. And then I got A-Rod and, you know, A-Rod, good dude, whatever. He's talking about swinging straight down. And I'm like, Somebody is going to hear that a certain way and it's going to go differently for them as opposed to let's clarify, let's create some context here and say, hey, this is what I was thinking. It might not have been in practice what actually happened. So like the literal verbiage of, of the discussion, I guess, is what where I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear you talk the way you do because I, you're really smart and I think you understand the, the implications of the words that come out of your mouth at times. 
Yeah, it's delicate because, you know, I, I can't screw you up by telling you to do something in a way that I perceive it, but to you it means something completely different, you know? No. I, I, w- I would hate myself for screwing you up. I, I have to figure out how you do it and then try to, you know, change what I'm trying to communicate to your language. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we deal with that with hitters all the time. Um, I want to ask you, you – Plate discipline-wise, you're as good as anybody I ever played with. Um, was that always something that you were good at, or did it just kind of happen as it changed? I think I was always going after pitches. I thought I could hit hard and just laying off the ones I thought I couldn't. And by default, that you know that gets you pickier. So, and listen, I took enough borderline pitches that were strikes to know that it comes with its sacrifices. So, you know, you got to take it um with with what it comes with and but it does make you lay off of some some bad ones yeah well i remember the times there would be times when you know you would take when we were in the heat of the moment you'd take a pitch that you didn't you didn't like and you know it'd be like the, i'd be like the box the box had it and you're like the box wrong but i think that <laughs> i think that's just a little bit of and i've talked about this openly i got what i feel like is you your confidence was was pretty unwavering. And I think I learned a lot from you about how to carry myself because before I got to Toronto, there were, I had a lot of self-doubt when I got to the big leagues and I was in a situation probably in Minnesota that wasn't suited for me at the time, meaning my age, the way the team was and being around you and guys like Josh and and other guys, Mark Burley, um, we had a really good blend of people, and I, I, I credit you with a lot of my confidence build, which I appreciate, and allowing me to Thanks. be myself too, which was, I think, part of that team. What we well, did. here's the and and Josh is the ultimate at this because you know the thing is we all have the self self doubt. The problem is when the other person that's looking at you can tell. That's the problem, and everybody carries it in a different way. And Josh is you know super confident. You can and he exudes that and. Burley's like, yeah, whatever. I got this. You know, so he just kind of shrugs it off. But, you know, when, when the other people can pick it up, that's when it can affect you negatively. And, and technically, it's not because of what's going on in your own head. It's because you're boosting the other guy's confidence because now he's looking at you half defeated or in doubt. Now he feels like his chances are better. So now you're boosting his confidence by default. That's the way that I look at it. So, um, but, you know, I think you're also sometimes a little hard on yourself. And I, I was I was able to point that out to you a couple of times, I remember, and just told you, you know, just worry about what you can control and keep going after it because, you know, the results are one thing, but what you feel and your ability to compete is, is what kind of keeps you around. Because if you're consistently doing that more than other people, you're more like most likely to come on top on yeah. average. Well, I think that... And that kind of leads us into the next thing I want to talk about. There, there was a pretty clear transition, and, and we mentioned this before, from, again, not necessarily like marginal fringe player, whatever you want to call you, like a re- everyday big leader, guy that was a regular in the major leagues for a time, but to becoming Jose Bautista, Joey Bats, like, like could was that – like, did that, did that ever – become clear to you like it what was it what it was like was there i mean you got a silver slugger so at that point you go hey i'm i'm pretty freaking good like no 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 and for me it was consistency right it's just you know when you know you can do something and you're not getting the results you want on a consistent enough basis it frustrates you and it kind of takes you off right and then you know things happen, and you gotta get more consistent. So in your head, you weren't that far away from what you could accomplish. It's not that you're just doing it now. So, right. and that's the biggest thing that changed for me, right? Is consistency and is getting into good ha- good hitting counts consistently. Is not missing your pitch consistently. Is you know that kind of thing. And it sounds like it's a little bit, but <laughs> over 162 when you look at it at the end of the season, it's substantial the changes that can happen by you know, getting into enough 1 hitting counts. And then when you actually get your pitch, because you're forcing the pitcher to come to you and then just not missing it. Right. That's... And then, and then you, it gets, it's kind of like an avalanche. You get more confidence. It gets a little bit better because then you can pick up things and you get, you know, you kind of get picky and just 
just try less and get the same result. Yeah, for sure. I have a question. I have a question about mindset, just to go back to it. So being around guys like you, guys like Chris, I was fortunate to be around a bunch of guys who are really, really good ball players. The one of the biggest things that I noticed was mindset and like belief that they were like believing they were an all-star before they were an all-star and ability to frame failure as success. So they would, they would pop out or something and be like, Oh man, I just missed hitting a Homer instead of, Oh man, I, I missed that one. This guy's really good. How much, how much of your mindset and you were just talking about it, but like, where did that start for you? Where did you, where did you kind of have that belief and have that vision for yourself of who you were trying to be and like the ability to like grind through failure and, and work your way up? I have no idea. I mean, I wasn't consciously thinking about that, but the only thing I can say is mindset's different for everybody, even though you might follow the same principles because you can be a guy that says, I just missed a homer. I can be like, man, that's terrible. You can do better than that. And we can accomplish the same thing. Depends on how your thought process affects you in particular. So if you're a guy that gets down on himself when he has negative self-feedback, then yes, I would, I would want you to give yourself positive feedback. That doesn't mean that I operate in the same way. Sometimes... And I don't know why, you know, you might have to get some, uh, some experts on psychology to, to kind of answer this question, but I always responded better to, to push by outsiders and myself. So I kicked myself in the butt when I needed to get going. I wasn't like petting myself, telling me it's going to be okay. Cause that didn't, that doesn't get me in it. <laughs> not on self-talk and not on outside motivation. So maybe it comes from, you know, how I grew up, um, all I know is when I was younger, the thing that I recall the most is when you have a bad swing, bad at bad, bad pitch or whatever, even in the cage and practice, whatever, it's like, next one, flush it, next one. You can have whatever reaction in the moment, but immediately that happens, that's over. Now you got to shift your focus because it's happening again. And if you're still dwelling on it, <laughs> it's not going to help you, so... Maybe that's where it came. That's where it stemmed from for me. Uh, you just mentioned, uh, uh, I think this kind of goes in line with that, right? I, I think about having watched you play from afar and both as a teammate, right? And it seemed to me like it was abundantly clear. Good one. Yeah, my bad. So it seemed to me, it was, it was abundantly <laughs> clear to me that it's, <laughs> it just worked for <laughs> – how many we times does that have to happen before you turn? This, this is a reminder that Bobby's the pro guy. Yeah. So Pat Patrick, <laughs> it just gives Patrick a little section to cut out when he has to do the, the thing. I, I I turn it off on one computer and then I, I don't turn it off on the other. Bobby's so on, probably on do not disturb right now. He's yeah. so pro. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I lost all train of thought. So so you mentioned we're kind of like full circle with this. I think there's having watched you from afar and then having been your teammate, it really seemed like you rise in big moments. Right. And I, I don't just mean uh, game tight and close. I mean, there were certain situations uh, with other teams that felt contentious maybe, or difficult, or, you know, there was, there was some bad blood. And then he had homers Yeah, within the team. I mean, I think everybody, everybody has that right in their career. They have their team, I guess, yeah. where it's, you know, whatever. But I know what you mean, and the only thing I can say is in, in those moments where it felt like things were kind of closing in, yeah, it, it felt like, you know, I tried to do less. Yeah, what's the mechanism? That's kind of, yeah. I don't I, know. I wasn't, I, it, I, believe me, I wasn't thinking about it as I was going. It was just, I can kind of see now, reflecting back. It would just, it would make me try to do less. Like it would sort of calm me down. When things are kind of going crazy around me, I just, I have the opposite reaction, you know? Yeah. I mean, the most impressive thing that I think you did that year, right? First of all, it was your first postseason in the big leagues. But the most impressive thing to me, it, the homer against Texas it, to me will live in lore as the greatest moment of my career i didn't create it every guy that i talked to we had kp on the show a few weeks ago we talked about it talked to sanchi everybody i talked to they're like dude they'll never be 
another moment. Like that's, that was it. That was the team. That was the moment. Right. So like every, that one lives on its own, but what was more impressive to me was in game six, of the, the ALCS, you hit, you had all our, our runs, like you hit two homers and the homer against Madsen in, I think it was the step. It was the top of the eighth or bottom, top of the seventh, or top of the eighth. I can't remember what inning it was, but that was like, that was ridiculous, right? Like you just put us on your back in game six and you were like, no, 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 we're going to game seven, but they were just too stingy to like, let it go. Um, those moments to me were, were my favorite. What, what was your vision? Do you remember game six pretty clearly in the ALCS or not? not, not pretty, I mean, not pretty clearly. I do remember it. I do remember that I was feeling good uh, timing wise and everything. And, I think in the playoffs, you know, people look at it like, oh, the stakes are higher, all these things are different. But it's it's just being able to kind of be in a good moment physically and mentally to where you kind of just let things happen. Cause you know the sport. There's yeah. good, there's good streaks, there's bad streaks. There are hot streaks and there's ones that you feel like somebody can throw you a volleyball right down the middle and you're still gonna not hit it good enough. Yeah. So if you come into the playoffs and that's how you feel at the moment, it's going to be a tough run. So you got to focus on, you know, I don't feel great. What else can I do Absolutely. to uh, impact the game positively or at least not cause negative impact? Defense, running, the bases, you know, whatever it might be. So, um, you know, I just I was I was kind of feeling good that day. You yeah. know, that it, it happens. I mean, I I had a good day. My. Um, state tournament in Chipola junior college uh, state tournament back in 2001. And, you know, I hit a couple homers on the championship game. Then uh, it's just, I don't know. Sometimes you, you just feel good and have those days and they happen to be on, on a big, big game. I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. That was it, to me playing in the postseason. It feels like it's, it's a freebie, right? Like it's like, what are we getting all stressed about? First of all, our numbers don't go on the back of our bubblegum card right now, right? So that was – I was always worried about batting average and things like that. I was frantic and spastic about it. But basically, my thought process was, hey, we're going to play X amount of games in this series. And if I do one memorable thing, that's the only thing anybody's going to remember. So that was so relaxing for me. And I, and I would say I had a pretty good postseason. Um, not quite the one you did, but um, – and the, just to flip the script, I, I'll never forget. We had a conversation and I don't know if you remember this. You told me we saw Dyson, I think it was in game one or game two. And we we're in the clubhouse and you said to me, I, I saw the change up. I'm good. And I was like, all right, cool. So that's like the matchup we want in game five. I can't wait. And when they brought him in, I was in the dugout. I was like, please don't ground in a double play. Dawson, please don't ground in a double play. Please don't ground in a double play. And they're sitting over there thinking, oh, we got our guy in facing Hosey. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, he's about to get him. Like, he's going to get his ass and we win. I knew you are going to hit the ball hard and turn into that. You know how it is when you're facing guys that have one or two pitches and they're both, like, on the same plane, same action. It's just kind of like a speed thing. Yeah. You know, um, how many times did I face him that year in a, what, four and three, three and four, yeah. seven, and then the playoffs? I probably faced him, what, five or six times. I beat the ball to the left side of the infield every other at bat except for that one. Either that one hung a little higher or I got a little bit more under it. Whatever it happened, it ended up working out. So I'm not going to complain. <laughs> you definitely beat the ball to the spot on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got to talk about it. The bat flip. Um, when we, The first time I talked to you about it, you said it felt like every emotion of your entire career just came out of you. What was that? Just what was the moment like to be? I mean, that inning, the inning was ridiculous. I was packing for my wedding. I was getting married that Saturday. So I was like supposed to be packing my car. My wife, my fiance was yelling at me like, help out. I'm like, I got to watch this. This is crazy. And it was just such a moment that all the buildup from that inning. And then like, what was the moment like for you to be the guy standing at home plate? And, and you were the guy you did it that, I mean, what a moment. I mean, I felt just – I was zoned into the game that moment, you know, just trying to do whatever I could. I wasn't trying to hit a homer. I was trying to help us do something positive, you know. This was like our chance. We had runners on base, you know. I don't know. Uh, you can kind of look back 
and, and talk about all the emotions and everything. But in the moment, I don't recall anything. I've told people countless times that I basically, I basically blacked out until I was, I came back to when I was sitting in the dugout bench and somebody was like waving a towel. On me. <laughs> it was just that amount of emotion, energy discharge, not only for me, my team is the whole stadium. Yeah. It was just, the stadium was, felt like it was shaking. It was insane. Um, it was just obviously a cool moment. And I was fortunate enough to be the, the one that got the, the draw, the straw to be in that moment in that position and get that chance. It was meant to be you. I'll, like this is, these are like the, the, to me, the things that I feel like they happened on purpose. Like it wasn't an accident that it got to you because Donaldson could have hit a bomb too. And it would have been cool, but you know, whatever. <laughs> like you, you were Toronto. Toronto had gone through that period of time without going to the postseason. You know, we went down to nothing in the inning before all like the totality of it. It was supposed to be you, Hose. And I, I don't mean that to downplay it anyway. It had to be you. I remember playing that game and I've never been that vividly engaged at every pitch, right? Like it felt even game four and game three, when we were down to nothing, like it was intense, but we got the lead early in both those games. And it felt like they were our games and we were never going to give them back. Game five, I felt like wire to wire from the time we got to the stadium to the time the game ended and the celebration ended, I was zoned in. And I, so I tell people I blacked out too. There were so many moments I blacked out because I, I was on the step because, you know, Eddie's on deck and I'm in the hole. And I had to go back and watch the video so many times to watch people's reactions because that's my favorite thing to do is see the reactions and the moments and but that feeling of just being so locked in, I understand it, but certainly didn't get to have that moment. But I did get to hit the most innocuous, careless single. Nobody gave a crap about my single two hitters later. And it was awesome because I was like, oh, I just got my second hit of the game. No big deal. Like, and I'm like, oh, cool. I hit a single and then people are clapping, but nobody's really clapping for me. They're clapping for you and the team. So the thing um, that's so cool, like that's an episodic memory for people. I remember exactly where I was when you hit that homer. Like I was leaning over the railing, looking down at my living room. Like baseball fans across the world have that memory locked into their brains. And I think that's one of the forever, coolest. That's forever. so Yeah, cool. no, that's what's cool about sports, right? That moments like these happen. And again, I'm the lucky one that was a part of it. Um, but it's, it's just, it's crazy how, you, if you think about it, everybody was locked in. Everybody in the baseball world was locked into that moment. So to have a cool memory for our fans that hadn't been in the playoffs for 22 years and for our team that had battled for two or three years um, to get to that moment, it was, it was insane. The best part was getting to watch Edwin jumping up and down like a little girl. Like he was literally <laughs> like a little school girl. He was like, ah! Ah! It was cr- I was like, Eddie, who are you? I don't know this guy. You're the dude that just, you know. I have a, I have a follow-up question on the bat flip stuff. What is your what is your position on the current take of bat flips in the game and just I guess emotion in general? Because now it feels like kids are doing bat flips to be cool on Instagram. What do you any thoughts? I mean, that? Chris that's, has that's some all. rules. We can ask Chris on his rules for bat flips. Let, let him answer first. I'm curious about your I think answer. it's you know, it's whatever. Well, if people want to do whatever, they can do whatever. It's um I, I was never big on the unwritten rules and all that other stuff. For me, it's about playing the game. And, you know, if something happens in a huge game and the playoffs in the middle of a ton of emotion and a lot of back and forth in the game and a season and, you know, a series in the playoffs, like, I don't think that's uh, the situation where anybody gets to critique it one way or the other, whatever. It's just a moment of celebration. Now, uh, when it comes to regular baseball i think the sports evolve things change whether it was because of my or another bath mine or another bath flip whatever the game's changing uh hopefully it change continues to change for the better i know we have way better athletes now than when i came up and uh the game's getting a lot harder you know most uh, team had two or three starters in the big leagues ranging between 90 93 with a little sink a little change a little slider or a curveball most guys had secondary pitches that at times weren't like 
crazy and outstanding, but they have to throw it as part of their arsenal. Now, if you're not good at one pitch, you're not throwing. And if you're not throwing 95 plus, you're not in a bullpen. If you're not throwing between 92 and 95, you're probably not a starter. I mean, there's a handful of guys in the game that have enough command and are good enough at changing speed and location that, you know, get awarded a job without having that type of repertoire. So, you know, things change. People are having fun with it. It's bringing emotion into the game. Fans want to look at it and watch it. It's engagement is probably up, you know, whatever. If it's good for the game, it's good for the game. It's just, I'm not one to sit here and judge or say what's good or bad and what needs to be done or what is prohibited, but it seems to be doing just fine. So I'm glad that people are, are enjoying it. And it's to me, just as long as the moment's authentic, right? If the moment's authentic and you can feel that it's authentic, because I can think you can tell the difference when it's not. That's my opinion on it anyway. Um, I watched there are times in a high school game or a college game when a dude hits a homer down by eight or up by eight in the sixth in game like 23 of the season. And you're sitting there and you're going, well, I mean, this is probably a little bit selfish or whatever it's about me as opposed to it's about the game and playing hard and, and about the team. So that's when I, I kind of pause and I go time out. Let's like, pump the brakes a little bit and let's take the attention off the individual here for a second. Remember there's a game going and certainly again, there, there's moments that warrant it. Yours warranted it more than any moment in the, probably the history of the game. I, I would say. <laughs> um, so it wasn't a Tom Lawless. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, Joe Carter's homer, probably, like, whatever he did after. Like, the good dude was doing cartwheels around the bases. That one, do whatever. Take your clothes off. I don't care. Doesn't matter. Yeah, World Series walk-off, you think? Yeah, like, uh, you know. There's no doubter, though. Yeah. He squeaked over. Shot heard around the world, Bobby Thompson. You know, like, that one, You could he could have he thrown the bat off the pitcher's kneecap, and I, I don't – not to get the guy hurt so or you're whatever. you're saying but. as long as it's not the second homer of my career. Yeah, like that, you know, if you're in AAA and you got seven pumps and it's June and you're playing, you know, you got a guy that just came up from AA and you're up by eight, like, let's make it. I know what you mean. And I think if you're in the baseball family, you you understand that. And this is where it gets kind of delicate because if, if you're a baseball, you know, casual fan that watches, but it's not part of the baseball family where you're experienced, you know, baseball in a deeper level you can get confused by that so i think you know is it positive is it good people enjoying it people are liking it like whatever yeah you know yeah well so take us to the world series right now what we got uh our our former gm uh with the braves and you were a, a brave for a very short period of time um what do you got on the world series what, what do we got going on You know, um, both great teams, obviously, Um, both offensively and defensively. Actually, they they got pretty decent pitching, but neither of them had that stable, you know, five starting rotation. You know, I think Atlanta, their bullpen kind of really locked in second half and throughout the playoffs. They're basically shutdown mode. They're not allowing anything. So if the Braves get early leads, it's going to be tough for, for the Astros to come back, uh, even though that's what happened yesterday and the Astros still won. They did it early enough. That was the thing. Like, they had to get there by the fifth, and they did it by the third, I think. It was tied. Right. You know? And it was a bullpen game, so, the you know, they had two in a row. So their, their bullpen's getting kind of stretched. So this is what, why I mentioned this, the whole starting pitcher thing and how Charlie being out, for uh, Atlanta and McCullers being out for Houston has probably affected the, the approach from both managers and front offices uh, now uh, on how to manufacture the pitching around the whole series. But I don't know. Houston just feels like, I mean, both teams can hit homers, but it just, it just seems like Houston can just score runs at will. Yeah. Uh, and if Atlanta's bullpen wasn't as strong as it is, they might be struggling. And again, it might sound like a little harsh because it's a short series, but it is what it is. Over 162, I think Houston had a better record, but they're both great teams. Yeah. Uh, 
and they're both uh, they both got great managers. I'm I'm kind of liking the whole focus on the managers. You know, both have had great careers. One is an absolute grinder of 30 plus years in the minors, and now he's he's proven how, how good he can be at the big league level for the last you know six seven I can't remember eight years now uh, in the big leagues and and being in the playoffs for the last two or three and now in the World Series. Um, he deserves all the success that he's he's experiencing, but so does uh, Dusty, and he's a you know he's a champ of, of a thousand battles. Um, both guys, you know, are player managers, and people love playing for them. So that's this is a cool angle too that that I've enjoyed of this World Series. Just kind of see their strategies behind everything and how they're they're doing the manager versus manager battle. Um, but right now, it's, in my opinion, a battle of the bullpens. So whoever whoever can pitch better in the second half of games should have uh, the say uh, tonight. Uh, so you know, three to two, it should be a it should be pretty cool. Um, but if I had to put my money on somebody, I love game sevens. So I hope that uh, that it goes to a game seven. But I do have a lot of relationships in the Braves. And I think that, for me, takes it over. So if I have to sacrifice my game game seven yeah. uh, to see uh, Anthopoulos and George Poulos and all those other guys celebrate, yeah. let it be. Yeah, I'm team. I'm team. I'm team AA. Team Georgie. Team Frosty. Um, Jeff. Jeff's over there too. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, Team Snitker too, because I, I was with Snit uh, a couple years ago doing a thing in Italy. I got to know him pretty well, and it's a good man. So, and I, not and I was in the clubhouse with those guys, like you said, for a short period. But that's a really united group. And yeah. um, even though it was short for me, I enjoyed being there. And- I think that's what you have to have to win, and I think that's why they're they're. Yeah. Doing a lot of, you know, who had the Braves pick to go to the World Series with that? And a lot of great dudes in there. You yeah. Know? I think it's a, I think it's a necessity for, for being a good team at the big league level, to be honest. Talk about, talk about grinder, Freddie Freeman. All this time being at the top of the top of the league of first basemen, and now he's getting a shot. So yeah. pulling for him too. Yeah, for sure. Good. I have a follow up question to that because you brought up Freddie Freeman. Who are your favorite hitters to watch right now in, in today's game? I mean, Jose Bautista. You can't you can't help it but to love watching Altuve hit. It's just small package, but packs the punch, and he just goes after it. He he's doesn't cheat right, it. Next to you, <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, I like Acuna. I like Freddie because Freddie's so different, in my opinion, than. He's so not common with his approach and how he holds a bat and how he stands and his hitting approach. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to see somebody be successful with something that's not a lot of guys follow in that way of hitting. He's basically super uppercut, but, and then he'll, he'll take a little pitch and just flick it into center field. It's just unbelievable. And then if you watch him hit BP, it's like he inside out is everything. Everything's going the other way. Seems like to me he practices hitting balls and keeping them fair without fade over third base from the left side. It's just, but when he can and he wants to, he just flicks one up in the third deck in right field. So um, it's it's cool to see guys like that hit. Um, Joey Votto, I enjoy. Uh, Fernando Tatis, um, it's pretty cool um, watching him hit. I still love watching um, Miguel Cabrera hit. He's one of my all-time favorites. Um, and Eloy Jimenez, man, this guy's this guy's impressive. He can hit an inside and uh, up and in fastball out to right field like it's nothing. He's so loosey-goosey, but just whippy. And uh, he just, it's so quick, but like efficient with his bad path. It's, it's unbelievable that a big guy that's so physical can can be so smooth with his swing. Well, they got both of them over there. Eloy and Lewis Robert are both, I mean, two two of my favorite young hitters. And if they if they learn how to think the way you think, sky's the limit for them. Um, oh, they're making it up with uh, – and I don't know if they think the way that I do or not, so I'm speculating on that. But, you know, skills and talent, yeah. they're way up here. 
This is like Kawasaki style. I'm here. They're, they're here. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Only, only with that much skill and talent, you can kind of, you know, yeah, make up for the difference. It still hit 300 with 30 homers. And yeah, no big deal. No big deal. With pitching as tough as it is these days. Yeah. They're, they're special. They're both, I think, pretty special dudes. And I, they, they got... I'm t- the more they mature and, and hone in on just Lewis Robert, even not swinging at everything this year, he just had to not swing at everything. And it was stupid. Eloy, Eloy, I loved the first time I watched him in the minor in the fall league. I think he played in the fall league. And I was like, dude, this guy's the truth. Um, and it, that's the, that's the cool thing about like the game getting young again. I just, I, I feel like they're, I feel like you still got like plenty of good at bats in you and I do too. So, I mean, I just hate that we're not, hanging out in the clubhouse anymore is that weird yeah it's weird but you know our everybody's time comes i guess for for a particular reason when it does so i'm just gonna keep on going living life it's that, that. It, was, it was a hell of a ride you get you to be a, a four girl dad that's it yeah that is a full-time job in itself well i'm glad you made a lot of money so you can work this job for free <laughs> <laughs> true thank you um bobby i'm good man i'm just thankful for his time and i appreciate you man you're you know always always hold a special place in my heart dude and in more ways than one so my my pleasure and likewise you know you you connect with uh a lot of people when you play the game for a long time and i'm also proud to say that you're one of those guys for me thanks man I'm gonna, yeah. go, I'm gonna go have a moment after this, dude. Yeah, do it, do it. <laughs> um, and I'll say thanks for having a great swing, so I can study it. And when Chris when Chris got uh, picked up by the Blue Jays, I was like, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna try to become Jose Bautista's best friend." <laughs> <laughs> I gotta start. I, I it's weird when you meet people though, because you can't like I would always call you Jose Bautista, and it's like you gotta just call him Jose now because it's not yeah, super awkward. Like Albert Pujols is Albert Pujols, but then I met him. It's like, oh, hey, Albert. Hey, what do I call you? I can't call you Albert Pools. Yeah, that's a, there's right. like a line you got to cross. So you got to get to like a comfort zone. The first, like when I first got picked up, you know, play independent ball for a while. Yeah, you, you can't you can't be like, Mister, excuse me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if I just kept, if I came in, I called you Jose Batista all the time. The first time I played against you in, in Minnesota, and you got the first base, and I was still like, kind of yeah, I didn't know you spoke Spanish, and you freaking threw me off. <laughs> I did that to a lot of people. I know. Well, anyway. That was hey, thanks again, man. I appreciate you. We'll talk soon. And uh, I hope all the fans get to take some really good information from you because you're the man. So, um, thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you hey, so much. Sign- for being open. Signing off. Pickle.